Okay, good evening, everyone. Tonight we're going to be learning about the ten svirot, which are in English usually translated the ten divine emanations. And in Kabbalah, as well as all uh, disciplines, sciences, arts, that uh, the information is organized according to models. In other words, models are used in order to give over virtually infinite information, but in a method that can, can be understood. And so we've learned that there are three major models in Judaism that through which, in a sense, all things can be learned. Those are the Hebrew letters the four-letter name of God and the Ten Sfirot. And tonight we're going to be learning about the Ten Sfirot from a very fundamental level. So first of all, let's look at the word Sfira. Sfira is very connected to the English word Sapphire. And in Hebrew, Sapir means to shine. And so sapphire is a shining gem. So therefore the spherot are understood to be shining emanations of God. And in fact we're going to learn that the ten spherot which uh, in, in modern times can be compared to the DNA in other words, just like an entire human being is contained, at least the parameters of the human being, the genetic code is contained within the DNA, in every cell of the body. So too, the ten spherot are thought of as being present on every single level of reality. And that's why it's, it's a virtually infinite model, even though it, it may look relatively simple. But since the combinations and the various ways that we could see this have so many different applications on so many different levels, it truly does become infinite in that sense. So there are three different levels that we can understand the tense throughout. The first one is as divine emanations, meaning God is infinite and God is one, as we know from the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Nonetheless, we look around the world and we have a world of plurality. So that oneness manifests itself in and multiplicity of ways. When I was growing up, so I'm sure your experience is also, you, you look up at the stars and you see thousands of stars. Ever go out to the desert where there are no lights and there's no moon and you could see the whole Milky Way. This summer I saw the Milky Way. I hadn't seen it in, it seemed like many, many years. You could see the whole Milky Way shooting stars. It was, it was amazing. And you look up and it's like, wow, that's like awesome. Thousands of stars. But there's not thousands of stars. 
there's not even thousands of galaxies there's approximately 10 billion galaxies astronomers tell us 10 billion galaxies does anyone have any concept how big one galaxy is how big the Milky Way is can we even conceive of one light year but you read the news they just found a new star in a galaxy 10,000 light years away so this is all coming from oneness but it's what we call the manifestation of plurality out of oneness and just like we look at the physical world being made up of building blocks atoms, molecules, particles, elements in our tradition we look at the Hebrew letters and the ten spirot as the models and the building blocks of creation we're actually talking about the exact same thing and there are many many very good books out now about the conversions of Torah and science and especially Kabbalah and science absolutely fascinating fascinating realizations and insight so the ten serial can be understood as ten manifestations of God's oneness and essence on a second level the ten sirot can be understood as ten aspects of the human psyche as we learn that God created man in his image and his likeness now we're not talking about a physical image and likeness we're talking about how the soul mirrors divine reality and therefore the Baal Shem Tov taught that the soul is an actual part of God above so therefore if the if the Sirot represents aspects of godliness then they will also manifest in the human soul and the psyche our intellect our emotions our subconscious our unconscious our superconscious and all those different levels the third understanding of the spirit is that these are the channels through which an infinite God creates a finite world and therefore the entire finite physical world that we see is a manifestation or extension of these ten spheres so if you followed there are three different levels to understand the spheres and the level of divinity as a let's say a peak into the essence of God and the level of souls as a way to have insight into the human soul and thirdly as the building blocks of the physical world and therefore we can understand the physical world through understanding the spirit the spirit are archetypal just like all the figures in the five books of Moses are archetypal archetypal means not that they weren't real people 
but they represent and symbolize and channel an energy much greater than that. In the, in the secular world, the maybe one of the best examples that we can understand this is Shakespeare. In other words, in any given summer around the world, there's probably a few hundred Shakespeare festivals where they'll, you know, every year the same plays are played over and over again. Hamlet and Macbeth and all of the famous plays of Shakespeare. And you think, wouldn't people get like tired of it already? But Shakespeare was able to capture in his figures and his characters archetypal energies. So therefore, when we see Hamlet or Macbeth, okay, the, the scene is, you know, whatever, 1200, 1300, 1400 England. But that's not why people see it every year, because, because the characters that they play are archetypal. And the predicaments and the uh, problems and the psychology in the play is, has an eternal aspect. How much more so when understanding the Torah? All of the characters in the Torah are archetypal. And we're told even further that all of these characters are nothing more than an extension of you and me. That we live in them and they live in us. That's the meaning of archetypal. So the same thing with the spherot. The spherot are archetypal in the energies that they represent. So having said that, we're going to go through the spherot and we're going to make an attempt in one evening to go through all of the spherot and to try to understand them with it being understood that this is a lifelong kind of study and the most we can do in one class is scratch the surface but I'm hoping it will do more than scratch the surface I'm hoping it will whet your appetite uh, not just for the Sfirot or Kabbalah but for all Torah learning because that was the first thing that we learned of what Kabbalah is and what Kabbalah isn't. And we learned that Kabbalah is not a separate spiritual path somehow uh, se uh, separate or divorced from normative Judaism. Kabbalah is nothing more than a deeper aspect of everything that Judaism has to say. So the Sfirot as well. The Sfirot uh, manifest on all all levels so first we'll look at this as the whole model and the spirit are sometimes compared to two things a human body and a tree so in the human body it's like this and remember we'll return and learn all of these in detail but Chachma, Bina, and Dat, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge represent the head. 
Keter, the crown, represents just like a keeper sits on a head. It's not part of the head, but it is intimately connected because it's sitting on it. So Keter represents the supraconscious, whereas wisdom, understanding, and knowledge represent intellect. Chesed, loving kindness, represents the right arm. Gevura represents the left arm. Teferit, or beauty, represents the heart. Netzach, victory, represents the right leg. Hod, thanksgiving, represents the left leg. Yusod, foundation, represents the sexual organs. And Malchut is actually the mouth. So in other words, this is what is called a the full stature of a human being is represented by the spirit. As discussed, the right column, meaning wisdom, loving kindness, and victory, or chachma, chesed, and netzach, represent the masculine energy. Bina, Gevura, and Hod, understanding, might, and thanksgiving represent the left column and the feminine energy. And the middle column represents the unity between them. And if you look carefully, you will see that the Sfirot are really made up of uh, a number of triangles. And why was why was Mahmud not in the logical process? Right. Malchut is the only one that you might think is maybe the feet. But really Netzach and Hod are the legs and the feet. And Malchut, when we get to it, will explain why it's connected to the mouth. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with leadership. But do you see the triangles in all the different combinations and truthfully you also have diamonds and squares and circles now there's all of the shapes of the world in a sense can be envisioned within this diagram we say that there are ten spheros and in fact the Sefer Yitzirah says ten and not nine ten and not eleven because the number 10 is very, very essential, not just to, to Judaism, and, you know, in mathematics, that 10 is, is crucial to the entire mathematical system, the decimal system. And also in Judaism, the number 10 comes up over and over and over again. It's about to come up very, very soon, because Yom Kippur comes out on the 10th day of Tishrei. The holiest day of the year comes out on the 10th of Tishrei. So that, that has great significance, but if you look at the number 10 throughout our tradition, there are scores and scores and scores of examples of things that have 10. And so the Sefer Yitzhira said 10 and not 9, 10 and not 11, because 
if you actually count how many spirits here we have 11 we actually have 11 if you look at the bold you'll see that there are 11 and not 10 so therefore usually when you see the spirit if you have the highest sphere of Keter the one below it of Dat will not appear and if you have Dat you will not have Keter so an example is everyone has heard of Chabad so Chabad begins from Chachma Chachma, Bina and the first letters of Chabad are spelled out by the Chet of Chachma the Bet of Bina and the Dalet of Dat but, but see Keter is not there because when you count Dat Keter isn't there, but they're considered mirror images of each other and what's interesting is that in modern string theory so modern string theory posits ten dimensions we've read a little bit about string theory ten dimensions four that we know about three of space and one of time and six other dimensions that are in the, in the words of, of string theorists are curled up within the other four dimensions and they're there but we can't see them or experience them now this sounds very very similar to Jewish tradition which is always talked about what science calls multiple universes or parallel universes these are all words of of modern science where in one reality you have much more than meets the eye and so according to Kabbalah and according to uh, uh, string theory in this room right now there are many dimensions that are happening simultaneous to ours in the same space just on different levels of energy different levels of of spiritual dimension and the fact that both Kabbalah and string theory say the same thing is telling us something very important and this happens many times now between Torah and science and they're talking about the same thing as different languages so the, the key is to understand the different languages and then to see the connection between them but here if you see the name of this uh, teaching is called the inner experience of the spirit and the service of God so along with the usual names of the ten spirit underneath them you have other concepts and what this means is that along with what's called the outside aspect of the spirit you have a more inner aspect and this inner aspect is very very connected to the human psyche and as we go through this you'll see how that manifests itself and so therefore we are treating the spirit on, on the levels of divinity souls and worlds 
And tonight we'll just mention a few ideas about each one of the spherot and to understand how we can gain an appreciation and an understanding of ourselves and the world we live in through understanding this. Just like medicine is getting a handle on what is what causes disease through mapping out the genetic code. That by mapping out the genetic code, they're just beginning. A hundred years from now, we have no concept of what they'll be able to do with this information. Right now, they're just being able to identify that if a person has a certain disease or a certain uh, lacking, that they can now identify the exact gene that is causing it. So the next step is to deal with that gene in order to repair it, which will then hopefully bring healing to humanity. <clears throat> so the same thing with the sphero. The more you understand about them, the more you can identify in yourself how this is how this is relevant and how I can understand these energies in the world. So the first thing is the idea of masculine and feminine and a middle column of unity. And we mentioned, since you're all in Opan right now, that Hebrew is a masculine-feminine language, which we're not used to in English, at least. It is not the only language in the world that is masculine-feminine, but it's not a, it's not a coincidence that so much of Kabbalah is based on masculine-feminine principles, and our language is also based on masculine and feminine. And the essence is the middle column which unites them. The middle column which unites the polarities and the dualities of the world. So when you look at the Sirot, it's very, very similar to an Eastern philosophy of medicine where the eastern philosophy of medicine is based on balancing energies that's where you get acupuncture acupuncture is knowing points in the body where energy builds up and how to manipulate release and reorder those energies same thing with chiropractor the same idea. You're, you're dealing with pure energy that is flowing through the body. And if, if you have disease, it's because there's an imbalance in those energies. It could be chemical. It could be um, due to stress. There are all kinds of psychological, all kinds of different reasons why energy gets stuck or... Uh, out of balance. So when you look at the spherot, you get the same kind of feel that the, it's based on polarities and the harmony and the unity that can be made between them. The, the Zohar, the classic book of Kabbalah, is totally based on the symbolism of the spherot. 
and yet it rarely mentions the Sfirot by name it mentions them through symbolic language so the Zohar is trying to explain the energy that is manifest in the world it does it through allegory where the Sfirot all assume uh, archetypal names and the Zohar explains how all the energies in the world are made of combinations of these energies so that is all to understand why the Sfirot are in three columns and why there are so many interlocking triangles here because what is a triangle? a triangle is, is you have two points doesn't matter where they are you have two points but a third point that unites them that is what a triangle is two extremities brought together in a middle point and that's really what the spherot are the spherot are all about looking within ourselves and looking at the world around us and recognizing how these energies are present and how to balance them it's just like let's say someone walks into a room and like picks up immediately there's there's so much tension you could cut it with a knife right now if they weren't a sensitive person they'd walk in and look at everyone and say hi how are you and everything they look like right over their head and miss it completely someone is sensitive they can pick up whoa there is something going on here if someone is even more sensitive they will know what what to say to break the like the spell to break the ice what joke to tell or what just what to say that will change the energy but it all depends on how sensitive we are all depends on are we picking up on the energy so we learn that the study of Kabbalah is a type of study that makes us very sensitive to energy and with the goal always to bring healing fixing and rectification into the world okay so let's start at Keter the top the crown on the head and here we see in the inner dimensions of the spirit there are three levels this is what's called the three heads of Keter and what this is are three different supraconscious levels of the soul what does that mean? what it means is energy or the transcendent part of the soul that is above as it were the intellect or the head in other words it's, it's that part of the soul that so totally surrounds our being but one would be hard pressed to put a finger on it in other words just like God has a transcendent quality 
In other words, an aspect of godliness that is beyond this world, above time, above space, above finite reality, altogether, beyond all description and all definition. At the same time, we believe that there is a, a manifestation of God that is imminent in the world, that fills the world. And in our tradition, we have two names of God. The transcendent name of God is represented by the four-letter name of God, a Yud, and the He, and the Vav, and the He. And the imminent is represented by the name Elohim. Because the name Elohim equals Hateva, which means nature. So we believe that God infuses all of nature, and yet God is totally beyond and above this world. So the same thing with the soul. There is a transcendent part of the soul that, as it were, is hovering above us at all times, and unless we can draw it down into our consciousness, it remains hovering above. So this is the idea of a, an inverted iceberg, where an iceberg in this world, the bulk of the body of the iceberg is under the water, 99%, you don't see it, and just the top of the iceberg is sticking out. But you know that it, it goes down hundreds of meters. We're told that the soul is exactly the opposite. The vast majority of the soul is transcendent and is hovering above the body. It's not even present in the body. And the small part that is present is like the top of the iceberg, but it's inverted, is within the body. And the more one can access these deeper levels of soul, the more one is aware of them. And therefore, when we talk about what are called sadiqim, righteous people, or mystics, or sages, or prophets, or judges, these, these were people who were able to draw a large percent of their transcendent root of their soul into their body. And they operated from that, that space. That's what made them different. That's what made them special. So that's what Keter is. Keter is the transcendent part of the soul hovering, but connected to the rest of the soul as it is manifest in the body. So in the crown we have three superconscious levels. Faith, pleasure, and will. Faith, or amuna, is called that point of the soul that converges with God. Like we said before, that the soul is an actual part of God above. So there has to be a point where, where those connect. So emuna, faith in the soul, is considered that level. If you look at the word in Hebrew, 
you'll see that the root is M, which means mother. mother. So that the top level of the soul is actually considered a feminine energy, a concept. And then we have divine pleasure, ta'anug. We've heard of oneg Shabbos, the pleasure of Shabbos. But here we're talking about pure spiritual pleasure. Now this pure spiritual pleasure can also be connected. In fact, it, it may even reach its highest pinnacle when it's connected to physical pleasure. The problem is, is when we divide between the two and we experience physical pleasure from the level of our animal soul with no connection to a higher source in the soul. So therefore, some of the greatest uh, examples of Oneg Shabbos are the three meals of Shabbos. Very physical food, physical drink, but the atmosphere, the ambiance, is very spiritual, so the physical food unites with the spiritual aspect in the soul that is longing for spiritual pleasure. So this is the transcendent part of the soul that longs to be at one with God. Because when we're at one with God, there is no physical pleasure in this world that can even come close to that kind of pleasure. And I bless everyone here to be able to experience that. Because once you've experienced it, even for a moment, then you know how real it is. Once your soul has felt that kind of closeness to God, or felt closeness to your own soul, and felt that transcendent nature knows what that kind of pleasure is. And then we have will. Ratzon. On the superconscious level, so will is the type of will that is above logic, above intellect. This is the type of will that, in a sense, drives us to fulfill a certain purpose or mission in life. This is what drives a person to do what at first might think might seem impossible. But it's coming from the hidden aspect of the soul and is actually propelling us forward and yet it would be, like I said, hard to grab it. Now just for an example, each and every one of you made a decision to come to Israel. Now it's, it's maybe not as, as good as an example as a few years ago when there was still a lot of violence and terrorism happening all the time. And still students were coming. Not as many, but still coming. And so the example was is that even though parents and friends were saying, you're crazy. Like, just wait a year or two. You can always go in a year or two. Why do you have to go now? And, and 
the student would be hard pressed to, to, to answer like logically it was just like I just feel I have to go now I just feel that this is the time I need to be Israel or this is the time I need to show my support for Israel for many people who are coming just like this is the time Israel needs us so that is the super conscious level of will right? in other words it, it, according to logic it doesn't necessarily make sense but it's what pushes us forward when we know that we have to do something for, or something is right for us and, and a friend says well explain it to me and you'd say I, I can't explain it it's just I just feel that this is what I have to do now we'll look at the three spirit of the intellect now the way I'm explaining this remember is I'm really explaining this according to the second level of understanding the spirit as it applies to the soul I'm not really dealing here with the spirit as the channels for creating the world as it were so for example the lower seven spherot starting with chesed and gvura uh, loving kindness and might these lower seven are correspond to the seven days of creation with the last one mouth of kingship being Shabbos and also the different worlds many different worlds in, in Kabbalah like we, like we talked about string theory talks about all these dimensions so Kabbalah talks about worlds they're, they're talking about the same thing so all of these worlds beyond our physical world are all contained within these spheroids as well that we're not talking about so much and we're not even talking about how these energies manifest in the world we're really doing the inner experience of the spirit in the service of God in other words how it, it relates to the human soul and psychology so in the level of wisdom so these three really go together and that's why Chabad has the name from Chachma Bin and Dad because these three make a triangle and they all represent the intellect the different parts of the intellect it's what sometimes is called the right brain and the left brain and, and the back lobe each has its function each has its predominant uh, let's say talents that it brings to the fore so on the level of, of wisdom so we're told that the inner propelling force of wisdom is selflessness in Hebrew, bitul. Now, bitul is also called uh, sometimes killing the ego, or mastering the ego, or losing one's sense of possessiveness. So we're told that wisdom is revealed through this characteristic of self-nullification therefore in Pirkei Avot it says that silence is a fence around wisdom 
Silence is a fence, fence around wisdom. And this is connected to the idea of bittal. What bittal means, really, is unifying your will with God's will. And starting to see a bigger picture of where we stand in the universe. It's like we use the example of the stars. So I'm sure everyone's experienced when you look at the stars, you start thinking, um, especially when you see the Milky Way, and you realize that the Earth is just a speck in the Milky Way. Just a speck, one of billions of stars and, and, and planets and, and comets and asteroids and who else, who knows what else within the Milky Way. And you start thinking like how, how infinitesimal the earth is, let alone a human being in relationship to the universe and, and to God. So this kind of, of thought process leads us to, to build little selflessness. Where we start to train ourselves not listen God gave us an ego for a purpose but there's an ego and there's an ego right there's an ego that is so full of itself it can't see or feel or touch anyone else there's another type of ego that has clarified itself in such a way that yes I, I know that I am somewhat separate but I also know that I'm not separate from God at all and this is what's called in Kabbalistic terminology being a chariot a chariot a merkava for godliness what we would call a channel like a new age channeling is a big thing but what is channeling is where or meditating for that matter is where one can empty the ego and let a divine energy enter a more pristine ethereal spiritual energy enter into us sometimes wisdom is compared to a flash of lightning in other words, of the three, as far as understanding how it works in the intellect, Chachmah is considered what we call a flash of insight, or the light bulb goes on, right? That moment of realization where it's all, ah, that's what it is, an epiphany. And then we have Bina understanding. Wisdom is the masculine energy. Bina is considered the feminine energy. Bina comes from the word bona, to build. So that's why it's a woman who gives birth. Because the, the flash of lightning, of Chachma in Kabbalistic symbology, is called the seed. And Bina, the father, and Bina is called the Ima, the mother. 
and she takes the seed and builds it into a whole person and that's what understanding is it says in the Gemara Bina means to understand one thing within another thing so this is not necessarily a flash of inspiration but this is more analytical organized thought and also symbolic thought where I can understand one thing within another I can understand someone's body language I can understand what someone is saying to me between the lines I can tell by someone's tone of voice what emotion they're trying to get across or trying to hide that's what's called to understand something within something else and the Talmud says that uh, women were given an extra portion of Bina an extra portion of this type of thought process so therefore in, in, in Kabbalah it says uh, Abba and Ima never separate from each other in other words biologically or spiritually in other words an egg without a sperm not going to get very far and a sperm without an egg you're not going to get very far one needs the other that's what says Ab and Ima they are, they are like two um, beloved ones who never separate and then that flows into dot now it's very significant that dot is in the middle actually I'm going to go back sorry because the inner experience of Bina is joy and the verse that's brought is Aim Habanim Smecha a mother of children is joyous but this this can apply to a man as well in other words someone who has a goal and achieves it so that's the same idea really in other words taking raw material and creating something out of it is a very joyous experience and on on the purely practical and biological level giving birth to children is it's not an easy process that's for sure but it it truly is a joyous process and that's what it means mother of children is joyous and in the symbology of the Sfirot all of the Sfirot that come after Bina in a sense are called the children of Bina because they all come out of of Bina and then you have Dat in the middle knowledge now this is obviously connected to the tree of knowledge of good and evil that knowledge here and it says in the Torah that this tree was in the middle of the garden exactly where the sphere of dot is in the sphere of right in the middle from right to left and above to below it's like right in the middle and therefore it has both a let's call it a positive and a negative charge 
That's what it was called, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, it had both aspects, and yet we see that the, the uh, motivating force in the soul is union, is yichud. That's because it's in the middle. So therefore, it's explained that knowledge in relationship to Chachman Bina, of wisdom and understanding, is the ability to draw those two energies into a, a total creative interplay, and then to practically exhibit or manifest that energy. So Hoffman and Bina are still like, as it were, very cerebral, whereas knowledge is starting to bring it down into the world. It unifies the two so that it can be manifest. So almost like saying before that a Bina is let's say, a, a, a mother who is pregnant with children, so that is the first child, right, that, that is brought into the world. Because until the child comes out, it's all hidden. It's not manifest, it's hidden. As you might know, the first time that dot is used as a verb, as a noun, the first time it's used is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But as a verb, to know, is, we're told, it says, and Adam knew his wife. And we're told that that means in, in marital in intimacy. That's what it meant. It says, and Adam knew his wife. So we learn that, what is knowledge? Knowledge is having an intimate connection and union with that which we that which we know. In other words, if you're studying for a, a, a physics test and you're taking physics because you have to have this requirement, and not only that you take physics. <laughs> but you can't go on in college until you take physics. So you're going to memorize it, you're going to probably get an A on it, and a month later you're going to forget the whole thing. Because there was no union with that knowledge. It was just all book knowledge. It was, there was no connection between you and that knowledge. It was just something you had to do to get to someplace else. But knowledge means, true knowledge means, where I understand it so intimately that it's really integrated into my being. I really have made it a part of me. It's not just that I understand something, but I've made it a part of me. I've become one with it. I've unified with it. Okay, now we're going, that's the intellect. The lower seven are called the emotions. This is the emotional realm of a human being. The first three and the, and the second three also are triangles, where chesed, loving kindness, gevura, might, 
and Tiferet beauty are called the emotions of the heart whereas the next three Netzach, Hod and Yesod are called the spherot of the of the of the behavioristic aspect of a person of the instinctual aspect of a person and that's why it's the lower part of the body that's why these three represent the legs and and sexuality because there it's getting into a more of an instinctual kind of emotional response to things where the upper three loving kindness might and beauty are are much more coming from from the heart so this is an obvious one that the inner dimension of chesed is love because a person does acts of kindness as a way to express a certain type of love that is in their soul Gevura, which is right across from it this is called might or strength or judgment or even sometimes severity but that doesn't mean that Gevura is negative none of these are negative they're all positive but just like wisdom and understanding were called like father and mother two loved ones that never separate so Chesed and Gevura are in great need of balancing each other and of everything we've discussed up to now here's where more obvious examples in our life uh, play themselves out on a daily level daily level where every person is trying to balance these two energies of giving and receiving giving out and withholding and withdrawing sometimes I need to be with people and sometimes I need to be alone sometimes I need and I want to give and other times I I need to hold back sometimes I can give (coughs) indiscriminately and sometimes I really really need to think about who I'm giving to and what I'm giving and so this is a balance that goes back and forth back and forth constantly and this is an example of an energy that appears on every level of reality from the atom the the interplay between the proton and the neutron and the electron and the pull and the rejection that happens in the actual energies of the universe scientifically when we talk about the atom we're talking about understanding how certain energies hold together let's say like gravity gravity is holding the whole thing together so gravity would be in a sense like gavura that would be the way that that gavura would manifest in the world is to an energy like gravity or the strong nuclear force which is also responsible for holding atoms together without that 
uh, force of, of coming inward the whole world would literally just fly, <laughs> fly off the handle so here's a very good example of how we can understand how that energy applies into the physical world and we could talk at a great length about the connection with electromagnetic energy and charges and the pull and the, and the pull and the push and Kabbalah is called the run and return Ratso Vashov that's the expression that's used but it means the same thing as what science is talking about that there's a running and returning constantly the heart runs and returns every time it beats there is an expansion and a contraction expansion and contraction every time we breathe our lungs expand and contract expand and contract every single atom is in a constant state of expansion and contraction and this is seen not just in Chesed and Gavura but really the whole idea of these, of these polar opposites and then a unifying force in the middle but this is a very very good example of how we can see this when we talk about the spirit and the level of godliness so here is where we talk uh, in the symbology of, of Rosh Hashanah which is coming where we talk about that, that there's judgment and then we appeal to God's compassion yes can you give another example of like the manifestation of might and the, the inner experience okay so okay let me just finish this idea and I'll get to that in one second so on Rosh Hashanah we have this this is the perfect example absolutely perfect example is because we envision as it were in symbolic language that God is judging the world on Rosh Hashanah so there's and it's called the, the day of judgment no Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Adin the day of judgment all ten days true all ten days are part of us but isn't like Yom Kippur any day of reckoning no actually actually the truth is the reckoning is happening right now before Rosh Hashanah that's the truth Yom Kippur is already the end of the process that's the ceiling of the judgment it's like Rosh Hashanah is the court case and the decision but the but it's in a sense suspended until Yom Kippur the verdict the verdict yes the verdict but the sentence hasn't been passed yet that's Yom Kippur that's already at the end but things can all still change but what people have a tendency to do like we do everything in life we put off everything to the end so people go into Yom Kippur many people thinking this is like the whole thing this is the whole thing but really it's, it's been happening since the first day of Elul you know we're blowing the shofar every day now every day yes during Elul every day during Elul in the morning every day not the, full, not the whole series of shofar blasts but the, the shorter series telling people wake up 
It's like don't wait, don't wait till Rosh Hashanah to put in your plea, right? It's a, see, now's the time of the plea bargain. Now you can plea bargain. Once you get to Rosh Hashanah, you have to go to court. There's no, you can't plea bargain anymore. It's in court. But I'm just bringing this up that we can see on all three levels now. If you saw what we did here, and I haven't forgotten your question. If you, you see, at all three levels, on the level of divinity, we see God's judgment and compassion as Gevur and Chesed. On the human level, we're balancing these all the time. And in the world, that the world is based on these expanding and contracting energies. So here's a perfect example of what we could do for all of these, by the way. And this is a perfect example. Now, as far as your question as to how can we understand Gevura on a more personal level, right? So this is some of the definitions we can get to Gevura is discipline and order. Chesed is wonderful. Loving kindness is wonderful. But as we said, sometimes it's indiscriminate. And we don't know where to put borders. When parents raise children, it goes without saying that they have to show them a lot of love. But parents who don't know how to set borders for their children is, is the opposite of love. Because children need borders. Human beings need borders. Human beings need order and uh, organization. All these are go along with gavura. In other words, the, able, the ability to organize our time is called the gavura principle. The ability just to say no, right, when the evil inclination is like, Oh, come on. Everyone else is doing it. You're not going to get caught. No one will ever know. It feels good. So there has to be something in the soul that can say no. That's Gavura. When something in the Sephiroth uh, is missing, for example, if we, are not, uh, we don't have enough uh, confidence, bitaron, how is it possible to work on it specifically? Is there a way to work on something missing? Um, for sure, for sure. That that okay. Now that you mentioned that, that would be a beautiful example of how we can take the sphere, which are very very mystical and ethereal, and turn it into something very practical and psychological. A very very beautiful meditation would be to take this chart and before Rosh Hashanah and do a checklist. Do I have enough faith? Do, are my pleasures totally physical? Or do I have spiritual pleasures? Do I have a defined will? And do I have a purpose? Do I have a mission? Am I going in a certain direction? Do I pursue wisdom? Or do I pursue facts? I just want to get my A. I just want to get through school now. Want to get a good job, good profession, or am I, or do I pursue wisdom? And we could go through all of these. A checklist, a very, very practical checklist. 
And let's say you, then you answer, you know, I, I, have, I don't have any self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm really lacking in self-confidence. Mm-hmm. So then, there are many, many things that could be done. One is to learn about all of these you know, self-help books. Now, I'm not saying this in a funny way, but if, if you're lacking something, you need to learn about it. Right? Let's say you're an angry person. So my, my wife is, is a, a therapist, so she used to give anger workshops. How to control your anger. So let, if someone finally comes to the conclusion, like, I can't control my anger. I'm, I'm like out of hand. So either they can say, well, that's just the way I am. Everyone's just going to have to accept it. Or a person can say, you know, I, I really need to change. And then they can go to an anger workshop. They could read a book about anger. They could go to a therapist. They could start to meditate. They could start to really get a control every time they start to get angry. Use Gevura and be very aware of They can keep a diary. I mean, there's all kinds of practical things. But the beginning of it is a simple awareness. And that's why everyone can take these. I would, I would really suggest as a way to really practically use it is just a, a checklist before Rosh Hashanah and go through it and if, and if you feel that you're lacking so then ah so now I know what to work on that's half the battle right there I know what to work on and since we're talking about Gevura then Gevura is the part of the soul that will allow us to do it because if I realize something and then I know I'm I'm overweight and I know I have to go on a diet and I just keep on eating I just can't control it so at some point the Gevura is going to have to step up and say okay the buck stops here this can't go on you have to stop and so each person can do many different things with this to really, really uh, get a lot out for the upcoming Chagim. Okay, so let's really finish this because I want to feel that we've finished this, this whole chart here. So the next one is Teferit, or beauty. And here the beauty is, is understood, it's called the beauty of integration. The beauty of harmony. The beauty of whole, being holistic. Because look where it is in the chart, also in the middle. And it's called the heart. And the inner dimension of beauty is rachmi, which is mercy or compassion. And some people ask, so what's the difference between chesed and mercy and rachmi? So chesed, as we said before, is, is indiscriminate. A person gives because their nature loves to give. They're not really looking if the recipient deserves it. They're not looking if this is well-spent charity. It's just, I like to give, I'm giving. Rachman is in the middle. So that already tells us that there's a balance here. The balance between chesed and gevurah. Where compassion means that I need to look into who I'm giving to 
why I'm giving, what they're going to do with it, how I can help them best. Not just give because they want to give. Maybe there's a way I can give in a better way that will help them better. So in other words, compassion, someone who has chesed doesn't mean that they uh, empathize with the other person. It's just, you're holding out your hand, I'll give you. Compassion means I empathize. And since I empathize, you see it's right below union. Remember we said knowledge, is I feel an intimate connection. So here the type of giving of compassion is a much more balanced, compassion is based much more on, on empathy. Much more empathy and really wanting to figure out how can I best help this person. Sometimes the best way to help them is not to give them. Yeah. And when you said that Ash married Qatar, does Tafarish and married Ash in the same way? I mean, if if say this one mm-hmm. would have disappeared to make the ten because it's a mirror of this one, is this one also a mirror, or is it less? No, not in that sense. Not not in in that sense. Just a dad is very very connected to Keter in in every aspect. But the fact that Tefera comes right below knowledge means that there's a very deep connection here. Very, very deep connection here. Now, I'm going to say something I didn't say before, which is very important. We are learning this one-dimensionally. You have to realize that all of, all of these are in every single one of them. And when you learn uh, certain Kabbalistic texts, it's, it's world within world within aspect within dimension within world within aspect and it's not complicated for the sake of being complicated it's just showing finer and more subtle points of what you want to make so that's the heart the ferret is the heart just like the heart is in the middle so is the ferret Okay, now the next three really go together also. It's the two legs and sexuality. Netzach, victory, has a number of meanings. It means victory. It means uh, everlasting, eternity. And also means to orchestrate. Orchestrate. In other words, a conductor in an orchestra is called a minatseah in this word. And so therefore, as we move down the spherot, each sphero becomes more and more, let's say, practical. Much more in this world. So that's why these are the two legs. We're already like standing firmly on the earth. And Netzach is the aspect of the soul that can, can juggle all these other aspects like a conductor can take a hundred people in an orchestra and make it sound beautiful. Have you ever heard of orchestras uh, tuning up? Doesn't sound so good, right? <laughs> because everyone's just doing their own thing. Ah, but it's a conductor that, that everyone's watching and, and is, is training everyone to play their particular part so it sounds beautiful. So that's what Netzach is. And that's connected to confidence. 
confidence comes from the ability to deal with the bombardment of, of stimuli that are coming at us per second right? we're being bombarded and we need a good conductor to figure out how to balance all of the energies and when we can do that that gives us tremendous confidence security self-assuredness self-esteem these are all connected to Netzah Hod means thanksgiving Lahodot it means Toda thank you it means Lahodot means to praise and it also is the root of confession Vidui and what's interesting is that the word for Jew Yehudi comes from the root of Hod comes from Hodu Lashem Kitov I give praise to God for he is good and so the, the fourth son of Yehuda excuse me of Leah was called Yehuda and she said this time I will praise God so this is telling us something very 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 important about a, a, a Jewish soul is very connected to thanksgiving and saying thank you that's why we have a tradition to say a hundred blessings a day say a hundred blessings what is a blessing really? we're thanking God a hundred a day think of that seven hundred a week that's like almost three thousand a month that is like thirty six thousand blessings a year but what are all those thirty six thousand blessings? Thank you, God. And that's very, very connected to the idea of a Yehudi. And the inner dimension of Hod is sincerity. You know, have you ever seen anyone say thank you, like from the side of their mouth, like, thanks? You know. But here we're talking about sincere thanksgiving. It comes from a sincere part of the soul. What's interesting is under understanding with the, which is joy, because perhaps the, the most, one of the most joyous prayers in Judaism is called Hallow, which means praise, that we say on holidays. It's a number of different psalms put together, and in many places it's sung. And so, when we when we can really say thanks. It's a very joyous thing. Like coming from a sincere place, it's a very joyous thing. Then we have the middle again, foundation, yesod. And the, this is called the, the, the power of sexuality. And you can see it in the body here, where it's, where it's coming. And another word for yesod is 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 truth truth is the inner aspect and it's also affirmation to to affirm so therefore you sow the foundation is considered uh, if you notice all the other um, spherot come through you sowed come through you sowed so it's very very similar 
to when we have children is in a sense we're giving over to our children our, not just our genetic material but our, our, our very being is all being channeled and that's why it's called foundation yeah I, I read that Emmet is more like with the Tiferet like I've heard Emmet is associated with Tiferet Emmet is definitely connected with Tiferet but look what's right on the one or the other yeah it is. okay so like I said this is one dimensional as soon as we go to more dimensions yes Emmet is mentioned many many times with Tiferet because Yaakov says T10 Emmet the Yaakov Yaakov is always connected to Tiferet so you're, you're correct but it's interesting to note that one right on top of the other it's, really, it's related a- absolutely related absolutely related and then the last one is called Malchut Kingdom and this is what we call the stage some consider the lower seven as one entity but really it's six and then one the six all together are considered masculine and Malkut is considered feminine which is interesting because kingship is considered a feminine aspect like Shabbat. Like Shabbat. Shabbat it, it relates to kingdom. So, um, are Gabor and Hod also feminine? Because yes. the left side? Yeah, the whole left is feminine, the whole right is masculine. But then, like I said, again, this is one dimensional. Oh. But then, if you take the six starting at Chesed, these are all considered masculine in a different paradigm. No. with Malchut which is considered feminine right because again it depends on the paradigm it's, it's always shifting it's always in, in flux always running and returning back and forth and uh, as we've said many times when we're talking about masculine and feminine energy it should be very clear to everyone that every uh, male has both male and female Aspects and every female is both female and male aspects, and a lot of life is balancing those those energies. So we were able to go through all of the sirot. We uh, concentrated mostly on the psychological soul connection of the sirot. But we did point out a few examples of how we could see these energies from a divine point and from a worldly point. But we should know that all of them are like this. Each one of these spheroids relate to a divine aspect, to a soul aspect, and to a world aspect. And of course, they're all, all those are, are intimately connected. Is the outer aspect always dependent on the inner aspect? I mean, like, so you can have thanksgiving without the sincerity, or the mind without the awe, or is it you can have the outer aspect? You could, but something would be lacking. Okay. And that would be also a good question. Let's say chesed and love. You could have a person who does a lot of chesed, but it might not be motivated by love. It might be motivated by wanting to be loved by others. It's not like that you love other people, but you want to be loved by others. 
might be motivated that you want to be thought of as well thought of well it might be because it's an avenue towards power you give a lot well maybe you owe me so in other words the inner and the outer you're right do not necessarily go together and if they don't though then that means there's a problem so we so that here's another thing that we can check out here's another dimension is our outer level truly motivated by the inner level and if not why not where's where's the missing link here or what can I do to connect them what can I do to bring them together